Good morning. How are we doing out there? Good to see your smiling faces. I'm sure happy for uh, fall weather heading up. Are you excited about that? Speaking of the fall, I'm in a series I'm kicking off here called The Fall Feasts. Leviticus chapter 23, if you had it. And uh, I'm in a new series because it is a new year on the Jewish calendar. Uh, you know that the new year, Rosh Hashanah, actually is beginning this evening into this weekend. It begins with the Jewish people call uh, the High Holy Days. And you know, Leviticus 23 is one of those amazing chapters in the Bible, and it provides uh, the Jewish nation with a yearly calendar, but it also uh, paints a picture of a prophetic calendar in what God is doing in the earth. Now, I want to read from the Feast of Trumpets, Leviticus 23, 23, uh, just a few verses here. I want to set the scene for you. It says that the Lord spoke to Moses Speak to the children of Israel and say, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation in which you shall do no customary work, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. I pray that you would give us uh, understanding, and I pray you help me teach with clarity and specificity. Lord, what is what you have planned for your people, your purposes, your plans, the, the agenda that you have. And Father, I pray it would just stir us up to pursue you and live righteously. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Now, um, you might disagree with me, but I tend to think of uh, you know Christmas as if it started on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and runs to New Year's Day. That is Christmas. The whole time... I, I, the holidays is a funny season. You got Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, you got New Year's Eve, you got New Year's Day, and to me, it's all the same. Now, you may disagree, but, you know, on a side note, I do get accused of being the Grinch. So, my opinion should not be taken seriously. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of similar, though, to when you look at, like, the way the feasts operate in Leviticus 23. Uh, these holy days run in rapid sequential order, so it's like one on the next one on the next one, sort of like Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. It, it, it's in that week of time that we refer to sometimes as the holidays. Well, that's similar to what Leviticus 23 paints for us. And here, what he's talking about is the Feast of Trumpets. In verse 24, he tells them there should be a memorial of blowing trumpets. So the first fall feast is what we call the Feast of Trumpets. As I said, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, this is the Jewish New Year. This weekend, I don't know if you'll be celebrating it. I keep my eye on the calendar. I watch out for these things. Uh, it came a few weeks after Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost was that summer feast that they had. So you have the spring feast at the beginning of the year, and then you move into the uh, Pentecost, Shavuot, right there. Uh, that represented the church age, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, on the 6th of June, we had Pentecost. I actually taught on Pentecost Sunday because I had never done that before. I was just kind of priming where I wanted to go. In a right here. Uh, we, we are at this moment of the fall feasts. And when they celebrated this first feast, the Feast of Trumpets in the fall, which takes place in, in this season, September or October, they would do so by blowing a trumpet. And Blowing trumpets is really one of those things in the Bible that has many different applications, many ways it plays out, but it had a lot of significance. For instance, trumpets were blown to celebrate something, like the feast, the, the feast of trumpets. It's, it was when a loud blast of the temple signified that they were gathering for purposes. It, it, it's a gathering blast. So they gathered because perhaps the summer harvest was done, 
and it was a time of gathering. They would gather uh, when holidays hit, feasts of trumpets and jubilee would take place. Sometimes they blew a trumpet when the Ark of the Covenant was being uh, brought in and they were celebratory. And, and, and sometimes the trumpet was blown in a solemn event like gathering together for war. It was a war cry to gather. And on certain occasions uh, and holidays, they actually blew the trumpet uh, for things like weddings, which you'll see in a moment. There's these social gathering celebrations, many connotations. Uh, but the, the Feast of Trumpets was a unique time when they blew the trumpet, and you could identify what it was because of the type of blast that was blown, a long, loud blast signifying, hey, we're about to switch seasons. Now, that, that is what happened in the practical sense. If you look at the prophetic foreshadowing, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, or the blowing of a trumpet, in my opinion, is closely associated with the rapture. And I would cite just two verses in the Bible. I'm not going to have you turn there, but we'll have them on the screen. And that's, first of all, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And you can see that there was a trumpet that was blown. Uh, with, with, the, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And this is describing what, we would, what scholars believe is the rapture of the church. Uh, the same thing is, is made in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 51 and 52, if we could get those ones up. Uh, he said, I'll tell you a mystery. We're not going to sleep. We're going to be changed. This is a transformation. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and if you're a Jewish person reading that, you know what the last trump is. Because some people think the last trumpet's the seventh trumpet blown in the book of Revelation. The problem with that is that the book of Revelation wasn't written for 40 years after this. So when they talk about the last trumpet, the Jewish people who were there would have understood that to mean the Tekiah Hagadolor, the loudest blast of the trumpet, which took place on the Feast of Trumpets. It said, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And scholars, when they look at this, they, they could see this is a reference to what is the rapture. Now, I'm a believer in the rapture of the church. I think it might be the most preposterous doctrine ever put forth if it wasn't true. <laughs> I grew up believing in the rapture, uh, hearing about the rapture, and wherever you place it, because a lot of people do believe in it, they just put it at different places, or the mid-trib or the post-tribulation. I put it right at the beginning. That's my personal opinion on it, that it begins at the beginning of the tribulation period. Wherever you put it at, uh, this, this event known as the rapture is going to take place and God is going to transform your bodies. Something incredible happening. Now, this, I, I like to study the subject for fun. Uh, eschatology, the study of end things. It, it, it's a hobby of mine. Uh, it is a bit challenging for people to look at, but I find it amazing that God takes Old Testament pictures, types and shadows on a calendar, and is able to lay it out in a prophetic picture for us. As I said, these feasts happen in rapid sequential order. They're happening one on top of the other. Take Passover. You know what Passover is, right? It's when we have the, the, you know, the Passover lamb slain because they were leaving Egypt, and then they had unleavened bread right after that, and then that was the first fruits. And do you know that that, that holiday season was literally fulfilled through Jesus on the cross? His death, burial, and resurrection on those dates, it literally lined up. I mean, the prophetic parallels are incredible. And we can say the similar thing is happening in the fall feasts, that there is a sequential rapid order of events. And when the Feast of Trumpet sounds, it is my opinion, my belief that this is a picture of 
the rapture taking place, that that, that trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we're just painting a picture. Now, th- these are complicated subjects. It's complicated sometimes for us to teach and challenging because sometimes we like to just think about you know, things as if they happen one after the other, and the other. that's happening here with the feast. But when you really understand Leviticus 23 and look at the chapter, it plays out in numerous different ways. There's multiple fulfillments of the feasts that take place throughout the Bible. That gives us a Hebraic perspective, much bigger than the ones that we think about. So when we're talking about these things, they can be loaded subjects. And I did a lot of reading this week, man. I read various books, various different opinions. I read different angles, people who had different thoughts on what they were. And I'm just teaching you what I really think this lines up in Scripture. So the rapture is a signless hour. It's one in which you don't know when it's coming. Jesus said you'll not know the day or the hour of his return, but he did say that we could know the times and the seasons. And I'm telling you that we are in a season that unless you're asleep, you would would be able to identify. Sometimes when I talk about end times things, people tune out, they don't care about it. And I'm telling you, that might be one reason that indicates that you're really not on fire for the Lord or walking with him. Because we're living in a moment in time which the prophets of old desired to see. We're living in an hour when these things are appearing, and it's an exciting moment, and those of us who are awake and not asleep can see the signs and get ready for the Lord's return. It is something to celebrate and get excited about. I think that if Passover and the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread and first fruits was fulfilled on a date specifically, I would not be surprised in the slightest if the rapture literally took place on the Feast of Trumpets. That would make sense to me because it fits in God's parallel, his, his pattern, his program. Now, what I want to do, because these things are difficult to teach, I want to teach it in a practical way how it would relate to you. What does it mean? I want to go to a parable Jesus put forth in Luke chapter 15, and I want to give you some reasons. Luke chapter 14. Reasons why people will miss the rapture. And, uh, you know, some people think that everybody who is a Christian is going to be raptured. Uh, but that's not the case, man. Uh, the rapture, in my opinion, is a reward for righteousness. And there are reasons why people are going to miss out on what God has for them. And you can see in the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. And interesting that that parable is in the context of a wedding. I said earlier that weddings were one of the reasons why they had celebrations and they would blow a trumpet to gather people together. And I want to walk through this parable, Jesus' words here, in in the 14th chapter of Luke. Look what it says in verse 15. It says that one of those who sat at the table with Jesus heard him say these things, and and he said, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, this is um, messianic language. And what he's doing is he's signifying and identifying that the kingdom is coming. And when Jesus hears that, he, he, he leans in. He's going to begin to share a story and make some points Uh, about what the kingdom of God is like, about Jesus' return, about when he sets up his kingdom. In verse 16, Jesus said, a certain man. Somebody say a certain man. That's how Jesus began all his parables. If you look at the stories here in Luke, Matthew, the Synoptic Gospels, you'll find that that phrase, a certain man, cues you into a story he's about to tell. It says he had a great supper and invited many. It says he sent his servant at supper time. That's a uniquely Jewish custom. And it says, he said those, to, to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. 
a Jewish person understands what he's referring to. He understands this is about a wedding, the great wedding feast, that something is coming. It's signifying this wedding moment. But they all with one accord begin to make excuses. Somebody say excuses. <laughs> I almost referred to this message as the excuses that evangelicals make. Because this is what people do, man. I have lived long enough now to find out people are ripe with excuses. Plenty of excuses. And what we see here is some reasons that people make excuses and they think, well, you know, I'm just going to play through it. Let, let's walk through the excuses that people might make. The first man said, I want to go to your wedding feast, but I just bought a piece of ground and I have to go see it and I ask you to have me excused. So the first reason people miss out on the things of God or don't prepare themselves for eternity is because of a failure to judge yourself. The failure to judge yourself. Whoever buys a field without first inspecting that field? It's called a home inspection when you bought a piece of property. Have you ever bought a house? Now, I think I have the world's greatest realtor. Love the guy I work with. And the last one I was about to buy, he said, Ah, brother, brother, I think you need to have a home inspection. I cannot in good conscience tell you don't buy this house without having an inspection. But apparently that's what this man did in the story. You know, the scripture says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And what he's simply trying to say is there's times in your life when you're going to have to take inventory about what's taken place in your heart. Yeah. See, here, here's the challenging thing about life. If you were born in this planet, you are committed. You bought the field, so to speak. There are certain responsibilities, rhythms, there's certain attributes of life that you cannot get out of. And that's life. It comes with it. The problem that people have is they get caught up with what we call the cares of the world. That's in Jesus' parable. Uh, you know, a field represents hopes and dreams. It represents what you want to do, the potential that exists with it. And, and so in the field of life, you can look at it and you can think, man, I'd love to do this. And I'd love to build something. I'd love to create something. And that's where a lot of people live. But if we're talking about judging yourself and taking inventory in life, I'll tell you what you got to think about. you got to think about what that inventory process is like, what it means to really take a moment to evaluate things. Now, I have had a number of jobs in my life where I worked and had to do inventory processes, particularly in warehouses. Has anyone ever had to take inventory at a job? Now, I could just hear the groans right there. Because you know exactly that inventory taking is probably the day you'd like to call in sick. Isn't that right? I mean, you know, the thing I hate about inventory taking is that I'm a social person and inventory is like the quietest time. Look at real quiet. Everyone's in there. And if you're going to take account for your life, inventory, if you're, if you're going to look inside, you're going to have to have some quiet moments with God. Quiet moments. Hard to do in the 21st century with all the noise. And can, quietness before the Lord is where you can hear his voice, where you can process what you need to do. You know, it, it, it's those moments. And a lot of people skip out of that devotional time, that, that quiet moment in their life. They, they get preoccupied. They get caught up. One of my favorite preachers, a man named John Osteen, said that he would begin his devotional time by asking the Lord if he was in the will of God. He spent the first 30 minutes of every day asking God, Am I in your will? Am I pursuing the right things? I've tried to apply that to my life. 
Because I want to get quiet before him. I want to hear what he has to say. I want to be ready. When you're taking inventory, uh, you're going to have to make some counting. There's going to have to be an account that's made. And I watch some people make the right counts. I've seen people make the wrong counts. You want to make sure that you're counting the right things. In other words, you, you got to find out, you know, uh, are my pursuits in line with what God has for me? Am I pursuing him in the proper manner? What is my, the state of my relationship with the Lord like? What is the state of my relationship with my spouse like? What's the state of my relationship with my children like? I, I want to know these things. I'm, I'm trying to take an account and find out where it's at. You know, I had a great time a few weeks ago. We went camping with uh, my buddy, Ted Shuttlesworth, who came up here and did some ministry. And, and man, he told me, he said, I go so hard, I do so much that I have not really taken enough time for my family. And so camping represents something where he could go out and be with his family. And man, that, that is, I respect that. I respect it when people can take inventory and say, you know, I've got to make some changes in the accounting system I'm using. Uh, people get preoccupied. They get caught up in, in cares of the world and, and things. And if you don't take account, I mean, you may not be in a situation where it's accurate. See, if you're going to take an account, then you have to have some honesty. Because the computer system might say there's 42 bolts in there, but the actual count says 40 bolts. And you have to be honest when that moment comes. I may not be measuring up. I might have been found in the scales a little off balance. And it might be time for you to really be honest with yourself. I'm telling you, a lot of the reason why people miss out on the things of God or not prepared for his coming is because they, they really are not honest with themselves in difficult moments. Honesty with yourself is what allows you to stay engaged in relationship, make good decisions. you got to be able to look in the mirror of God's word and see what the truth is. Because the truth is you might need a shower, you might need a bath, that hair of yours might need to be parted and put back together. That, that's, that's being ready. Yeah, there's something about honesty before. When you are honest with yourself, you may have to make some changes. That's called repentance. Life. This does not mean, you know, you got saved and, and at one time and you made a total turn. Repentance is a process in life that when you're confronted with something, Scripture says if you turn at his rebuke, he will breathe his spirit into you. Man, there's, there's something about identifying something that's out of balance, taking inventory and making correction in your life. This happens to me all the time. This just recently happened to me. I saw some things in my life that needed some change. And I had a friend who gave me one of the greatest compliments. He said, you know, I have noticed that when you're confronted with something, when you identify that, you know, this is an issue, this is something I got to correct, that you actually will work to do that. And I've tried to have that as a habit in my life. If I see an area that I have, you know, made a wrong account about, I want to be honest and I want to fix it because I want to be ready for the Lord's coming. Now, let me give you a second reason why people miss the rapture. And I'm in verse 19. Another man said, I bought a yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. And I ask you to have me excused. Reason number two is the failure to endure testing. Because whoever buys a yoke of oxen without first of all testing them, that's called a test drive on a car. Have you ever bought a car without taking on a test drive? Now, I bought lots of cars, and every car I bought, I took a test drive, except one. And that was a beautiful Saab convertible that I found in Arizona. And that Saab became 
a sob story. Because <laughs> when you buy a car from Arizona, the air conditioner doesn't work. Did you know that? <laughs> and I remember I had to fix so many things with that car, the clutch, the brakes. It was the car that I went to meet Elizabeth in. And I was 26, and I had a convertible, and I used to drive that thing like 95 miles an hour up to the Canadian border. I noticed it was kind of pulling funny. So I got back to my mechanic, and he said, you did what and drove how far with this? And I said, well, I was going pretty fast. He said, you have one bolt holding the engine in. The other three have fallen out. He said, you're very lucky that thing didn't drop. You're dead somewhere. <laughs> Test drives would have helped that. I mean, think about what this guy's doing. He's, he's doing a test drive. And, and, you know, and I think about Jesus' parables. I mean, he said that there would be pressures in life that would come. And I found such an interesting verse in the book of Job. It, it says in Job 7, 18, that God will test man at every moment. He's testing. He's watching. And the sad reality of life is that you're in it, and there will be pressure. And, and the way that you handle pressure is the way you pass a test. And I, I'm seeing right now in the generation we're in, a lot of people feel ill-equipped to handle the pressures of life. It, it's like people want to check out, they want to escape it, they don't understand that the life that we're in now is about testing. And the way that you test here in this life is going to determine the way that you pass the test in the life to come. I like how Scripture says, if you endure to correct God will deal with you as a son. There, there's an endurance when God works with you and tries to correct you and test you and put things in front of your path, because he wants to know what's in your heart. He wants you to know what's in your heart. You will be tested in life. Your faith is going to be tested. There's going to be moments when God gives you a promise, when he reveals something to you, he puts a word in your heart, and you're going to be tested by it. If you're going to believe it, if you're going to walk it out, if it's going to be something that plays out in your life, there's a test of faith that people walk through. You're going to have your you're going to be tested by his promises. You're going to be tested by demonic opposition. I mean, there's going to be some pressure the enemy puts on you. There's going to be some things he whispers, some lies that he says. He knows how to poke your buttons. He knows how to get you fired up. And if you can pass those tests, I'm telling you, you can go far in life. Because when the enemy starts testing you, when he starts pushing on buttons, that means your emotions are being tested. And man, your emotions are so fickle. Have you discovered that yet? That one day they're up here, and for reasons unknown to you, the next day they're down over here somewhere. And you try to figure out how do we go from being so happy to being so sad? And you've got highs, lows, ebbs and flows, ups and downs, and if you can win the battle in your emotions, I'm telling you, you can pass tests. It's about how you weather and regulate through you know, bad relationships, boyfriends that might come and go, you know, uh, school situations, the job you don't particularly care for, all these are tests in life that you go through. Everyone goes through them. No one's, no one's exempt from tests. Yeah. You know, one of the great tests you'll face is with finances. And that actually might be the point of the story here. Because oxen are money makers. And in the same way that the first excuse someone made had to do with the cares of the world, this one might have to do with what Jesus called the deceitfulness of riches. And I just watch people in our society who are so caught up in the wrong pursuits. Men, they're chasing things down that have no eternal value, all in the name of pleasure here, pleasure now. And, and it's an interesting thing. You are given a chance in this life to be tested on how you handle money. Are you going to put God first? Are you going to honor him? Are you going to be a blessing to someone else? Or is all oh, inside going to come to me? 
If you ever learn how to be a blessing to somebody else in life, man, you will find such happiness and such joy, and finances are a huge part of that. That's what this parable, that's what this excuse might be about. Uh, 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 Someone who refuses to be tested doesn't want to endure through things. That's what happens with people. Now, let me give you number three. Number three is a little more challenging, a little more tricky. Uh, In the 20th verse, another guy said, I've married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. Let me just step on some toes and tell you that sometimes when you place family ahead of the things of God, you actually might not be ready for the Lord and His coming. Uh, apparently, the wedding was in mo- Apparently, this, this banquet had been sent out, and the guy had RSVP'd back. But whoever, whoever you know, says they're coming to, to, to the banquet without... First of all, acknowledging that they have their own wedding to do. I mean, he had a conflict of interest. But you know what Deuteronomy 20 says? It tells us that when a person got married in the Jewish culture, they had a whole year off where they were exempted from you know, going to war. They had a whole year off to be with their wife. This guy really doesn't have an excuse. He's got a whole year where he's got freedom to go do something. And so the first two excuses are rather ridiculous. This one, you know, with marriage, we can give a little bit of grace, but it's still, it's still an excuse people make. And I don't think I need to remind you that in the time that we're living in, in the 2020s, it's like the family unit is under a tremendous assault. And it's been that way for generations. I mean, you can see it in divorce rates, in, in broken homes. I think that affects everybody. Everyone knows somebody. Most, most people have almost been through it directly. Uh, and now you're seeing, you know, this such confusion, especially among young children, like, you know, their genders and, 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 and it, it's just, it's just such a weird time in family. And I watch as people are aware of it, but it's like they overcompensate and they try to do things, you know, that, that maybe they're trying too hard and, and, and making wrong decisions. Let, let me tell you how your family can get in the way of even your own relationship with God. You could put them before the things of God. One of the ways is in church attendance. I see this all the time, man. And people, you know, sometimes they, they don't make the priority enough to be in church because they get caught up with other things. They're, they're trying to make time for family. Um, you know, I, I hear excuses from people who say, well, uh, I'm not really being fed over here, but my kids like it. It works well for them. And, and I watch people do that. They, they personally are not growing. There's no challenge. They're not being fed scripturally or spiritually, and, and yet they stay in a place where it works for them because it's convenient. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching. It's quiet. <laughs> but this is what happens with people. Or they'll skip services, they'll skip Sundays because activities or entertainment time. Uh, another way it plays out with people is, you know, they'll put activities or entertainment ahead of the things of God, ahead of their own devotional life. And boy, it is a challenge. I, I'm watching this because, you know, my kid, we got him flag football, and Pastor David, he's helping coach. And so, you know, he's coming to grips with, like, you know, his kids being in sports and how much it requires. When I grew up, we didn't have, it wasn't such a pressing issue. Now you got to, they say you got to get in sports at a young age. It might eat up every night of your week. I mean, it gets real busy. And then you think about poor Pastor David having four children who are all athletic. I mean, how are you going to juggle that? How are you going to balance that? It requires a tremendous amount of wisdom, preparation, scheduling, priorities to figure some of these things out. And if it in sports, then you get over into like music. 
or academics or other extracurricular activities your kid might get up with. And don't let me even mention that in Montana, your summer is like gone in an instant. And I've seen people who don't even show up in church on Sundays in the summer, trying to make the most of it. And I get it. I understand. But I'm just telling you, if you will put your, fa- your, your family ahead of the things of God, it's going to cost you in the long run. Because the, there's no way that if you haven't put God at the center, that you're going to have the family that you want. The way for you to have the family you want, the way for you to have the right relationships you want, is to continue to keep God a priority at the center of your life, in your devotional time, be an example, get your children in church, have them follow with you. That, that's I'm so grateful I grew up with parents that emphasize these things. My mother would not let us skip out of devotions with her after school. And we were in church like many of you were every time the doors were open. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights. And I'm grateful we've been having Wednesday night services for families because you know what? I'm getting that you know, back in place. It just needs to be a priority in your life to be with the people of God, to be in the house of God. It's something that you grow and you're edified by. These are excuses people make, man. I'm just telling you the reasons why people get sidetracked. They want to make all kinds of excuses about things. Now, this parable could go so many different directions. I want to finish it out. Verse 21. The servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house got angry. And he said, go out in the streets and the highways, get the blind, the lame, get anybody you come across. Mopeds, wheelchairs, anybody. Just bring them all back to this place. And the servants, when he did that, he said, I've done that, and there's still plenty of room. There's a big venue. This wedding we're having is going to be, we want as many people to come. And in verse 23, the master said to the servant, go out in the highways, the hedges, and compel them. Someone say compel. Compel them to come to my house, that it may be filled. For I say to you that not one of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. There are so many ways you could go with this. I love reading about parables. It's like feasts. It's it's laden with different layers. One way we could look at it is that Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience, and he's saying, if you will reject me as the Messiah, I'm going to go to the highways and the byways with me, the world, and I'm bringing all the Gentiles into the house. I'm bringing people you thought were unworthy, and they will be here with me. Because he said, in my house are many mansions, and I want this place to be filled up. And what that just tells us is there's room in there for you. One reason he might have got angry is because People get so complacent, and sometimes we not do a good enough job compelling people to come into the house of the Lord. And I feel just as guilty about this as anybody. I feel like sometimes I miss witnessing opportunities. I was at Walmart the other day. If you ever want to practice witnessing, you just go yourself to Walmart. There's an unending supply of people to witness to who all need the Lord. Have you been to Walmart? Yeah. So I remember I was walking out with my son. I had him with me, had an armful of groceries, and I saw a man sitting in despair. And so I, I walked over to him. I started talking to him. He barely acknowledged me. And I asked him if I could pray with him. And he acknowledged that. And after I got done praying, he wanted out of there. But I thought, I didn't seal the deal, man. I got to do a better job telling him about Jesus. <laughs> I want to compel people into the house of the Lord. That, that word means is you got to go grab them by the arm and bring them in. And that's what I'm telling you, man. That, that's something we should do as a church. We should invite everybody you want to get him in the house of God. You want to tell everybody about eternity because I'm telling you, it's coming. Jesus is coming and his house is big enough. There's room for you there. Yeah. Now, about weddings. I will not lie to you. I don't like going to weddings. I, I know this because I'm a minister. I've had to do over 40 of them. My wife will say, hey, I got invited to a wedding. Do you want to go? Um, no. 
and I will look for any excuse I can to get out of a wedding. Like, does the paint, does the house need to be painted, or does your car need to be vacuumed? <laughs> Is there a game on? <laughs> I mean, any chance I can get to get out of one, I do, because you know weddings can, uh, yeah, that's just a little thought there. But you know the great thing about weddings? They're going to send you something. It's called an RSVP, Responsible Play. And what this parable tells us is that you have been invited to a wedding. This is a wedding you don't want to miss out on. This is a wedding with really good catered food. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. This is a wedding that uh, is going to be beautiful. It's hand-tailored. It's personal. It's private for you. But the way that you RSVP for this wedding is through faithful living. It's when you live worthy of what God has called you to do. It's when you're not making excuses for a lifestyle that may not be pleasing to him. Or you're not making excuses for why you're lukewarm and you're not on fire for the Lord. I mean, th th this is what the RSVP is about. It's about you living your life in such a way that glorifies and honors God so you are ready when that trumpet is blown and, and you can appear before him at this supper. Yeah. You know, the thing about feasts is it, a lot like weddings. It's so interesting. The feasts that we just put forward, all these things we're going to be working through, they're like dress rehearsals for what God was doing. The Passover was a dress rehearsal for the crucifixion. The, the, the Feast of Trumpets is a dress rehearsal for what God is doing at the end of the age and the rapture of the church. And, and that's what happens at weddings. There's dress rehearsals because I have done enough of them. We got to walk through that thing once, twice, sometimes three times if you're dealing with people who need it three times. I mean, you want to be ready. And that's the point here is that we can see these things. You better be ready. There's a dress rehearsal that's taking place. A dress rehearsal. You know, when I think about this dress rehearsal, you got to ask yourselves the question, am I judging myself? H have I taken inventory properly of my life? What, what accounting mechanism is taking place? What, what's, what's, the, what's the state of affairs in my life? What is it like? What, what, I mean, what... If, I think, if I'm honest with myself, if, if I'm in quiet moments with God, where am I really at? Am I hungry for Him? Am I pursuing Him? Or am I just going through the motions? Because I watch that a lot, man. I'm a pastor. I see this. I see people who show up at church and they're going through the motions. I'm telling you, God knows the secrets. He knows deep recesses of the heart. And if you would judge yourself, you would not be judged. You want to take a moment in your quiet time and ask what the state of affairs is like. If you want to be ready, and he's coming, you're going to have to have the ability to endure testing. Tests come in all sizes and shapes and forms, don't they? And the ups and downs, pains. You might be in a test right now. I, I felt like the Lord has shown me something I'm, I'm, I'm being tested with at the moment. And it took, it took a while to sink in. This is a test. I, I, and I'm, I, I'm just trying to observe myself in it. I want to endure it. I want to go through it. What, what tests are you in? Is it with people? Is it with your money? Does it have to do with the way you're managing your family? Yeah, th these are things to evaluate. You're going to be tested. And, you know, for some people, they, they have not placed their family ahead of the things of God. They led their family there. And sometimes that's the flip side. You just want to be in a place where you're always pursuing the things of the Lord. I remember I was do, watching a show uh, watching a discipleship program, and the guy said something I'll never forget. He said, when you get into eternity, when you appear before the Lord and have to give an account, he's going to ask you a couple questions. And one of the questions he's going to ask you is, where's your wife? And where are your children? Where's your family? 
man, that just hit home with me. I don't want to be in a place where I have those out of balance. I want to put the things of God first so that my wife and children can follow me. I want my whole family, my whole house to be ready for his coming. You want to be ready for his coming? He could come at any moment, man. That's the story of the scriptures. You realize in the first century church, they were all looking for his return immediately. The men that wrote the Bible believed he was coming in their lifetime. And we get up sitting in churches and we get real cozy and comfortable and don't anticipate. No, it could come at any moment, in an hour when you least expect it, the scripture says. I don't know about you, I'm the things that be ready. I want to be on fire. I want to judge myself. I want to be a person who's pursuing the things of God. You all want that for your life? Yeah. So let's pray. Say, Father, I just thank you for this group of people. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be open, receptive, ready. Uh, I pray for people to be prepared. Hmm. Walking with you. Help us walk worthy of what the, you'd have for our lives. I pray we multiply 30, 60, 100 fold. And I pray a fire you put inside of us, Lord, a fire for souls, a fire to be witnesses to people. A fire. Everywhere we go, we get a witness. Every chance we get, we get to give glory to God with our lives. But I pray that we be that people. I pray that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for your hand of faithfulness and guidance and goodness. In Jesus' name. Now, the, the, uh, is it Stacy and Rachel, your, your sisters are over here? Yeah. Now, I haven't met you yet. You know, I, that's hard for you to do because I like to chase people out of church. My wife said last week she got up at the pulpit and she felt like she had a word for you. I don't remember what it was, but I, two, weeks, two weeks in a row, two weeks in a row, uh, you, you were highlighted to me. Like, like two weeks ago, Elizabeth got it, I got it. And I just feel like the Lord's favor and hand is with you. It's like you're growing spiritually. And I feel like the Lord is going to increase and intensify that. In fact, you know what I feel of your home is uh, household salvation. How many sisters you got? Nine. I want to just pray that whole family. Seven. That whole family of yours, right with the Lord. The whole family. How many of you have family members you want to see in heaven with? Yeah, pray over these guys. Like Job, God will answer your prayers. You pray for somebody else. So, Lord, over that whole family, I thank you for every one of them on fire and hungry. And you know what else I just sense? I sense it's going to go to children and grandchildren. He ain't stopping with sisters. I declared over your grandchildren, your children. Father, you have the ability to reach into people's hearts and minds. And so, Rachel, just like we prayed on Wednesday, Lord, over those children, every one in that home, I pray an entire household salvation in these days in which we're living in. Lord, I thank you that whole family is going to be saved in the name of Jesus, ready and right with you. You know how to whisper it in people's hearts, God. You're able to do that. How many of you believe for your families to be saved? Mm. You know how you do that? You live right with the Lord and they see it's real. Oh, Lord, I thank you, Father, for witnesses and examples in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. Let's stand up this morning. Well, I feel the Holy Spirit on me. Uh, if you would like prayer, I want to pray with you. I think we're uh, studying these feasts because we're transitioning seasons. And the thing I've learned about life is there's always transitions of seasons. And in right now, on the Jewish calendar, there's a whole transition of seasons. And it could be that your life's at a transition point and you need some prayer. And we're here to pray with you. Mm. Mm. Speaking of transitions, Alan, can you come down? Give this. Yeah. I want to pray over Alan. 
Give this man a hug on your way out. Hmm? Reach your hand out, pray. Right, Father, I just thank you for grace. Lord, we thank you that you're so faithful. God, I pray around. I pray your comfort. I pray your wisdom. I pray your protection. I pray your peace. And Lord, I thank you for the faithful example of a man who's lived his life ready for the Lord's coming. You have been ready for the Lord's coming for quite a while, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, Father, I thank you for this man. I just pray the comfort and the grace upon him. The goodness of the Lord in the land of living. And I pray that he would find very a lot of fruitfulness in this season, Lord. More fruitful than he could ever ask or think. Lord, I just thank you that you're with him. You'll never leave him or forsake him. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, we love you all. If you want prayer, you can come grab me. I'll catch y'all next week. Don't forget we got prayer on Wednesday nights. Love you very much. Amen. Mm.